Welcome to Before You Go. I'm Nicole Franklin. And I'm Bryant Monte. And Bryant, when it comes to living our best lives, I found someone who at 88 years old is the best example of how it's done. Oh, love it. So let's meet Miss Betty Chavis. So Miss Chavis, we want to welcome you to the show. Welcome well, to the thank show. You very much. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, yeah. Well, I have met you a couple of times because you are dear, dear friends with my cousins who a lot of my family does not get to see because they're way up in Houghton, Michigan, which I understand has a population of less than 10,000 people. That's when, exactly right. <laughs> when school's not in. <laughs> we're around a Michigan, <laughs> yeah, we're Michigan Tech University. You, though, are a big city girl in a small, small town, from what I understand. So um, <laughs> I always knew you were like a big light that walked into the room. You're tall, that smile, you're dazzling. And now I understand you opened your own store. I mean, let's just talk about how um, how you doing, how you living, how'd you get to Houghton? <laughs> oh my God! Well, um, that's kind of a weird story. Actually, I was getting—I uh, got up here through a, a relationship that was going wrong down in the Detroit area where I was at that time, and I thought this would probably be the the farthest place I could get uh, away from. <laughs> However, I had a, a cousin who was a writer in residence here. And she had been talking to the president for some time about the lack of black students here at Michigan Tech. Mm -hmm. And um, they decided because back at those days, it was a lot of money involved in academia for uh, recruitment of black students to colleges. Mm -hmm. And um, Michigan Tech was not unlike any other. Uh, always, you know, bottom line is the money. However, uh, the president at that time, Dale Stein, was very interested in improving the diversity at Michigan Tech, and especially with people of color. Mm -hmm. And I had been working for a senator in Lansing, Michigan, which is the capital of uh, Michigan. Um, his name is uh, Senator Basil Brown. And I had been working with him for the last four or five years prior to here. Mm -hmm. So I, I knew the state of Michigan, having traveled around it quite a bit. So I, I guess I kind of fit what the, the president of the, the university was looking for, someone that knew the area of Michigan and knew where uh, there were clusters of black students that might be interested in college. Well, just so happens that uh, I came from a high school in Detroit, Michigan, which was uh, at the time the stellar high school in the area. And not mm -hmm. only in the area, Cass Technical High School. Cass, okay, and, the famous uh, high school there. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was good friends with the principal at that time. So, of course, that was kind of a could do it and a straight line to all the the top students at Cass Tech. And since it was a technical uh, high school, and of course, Michigan Tech is a technological university, <laughs> it was a perfect fit. So uh, when they first called me to come up for an interview, of course, I came in with a fur coat and high heels. 
and it was snowing like hell. Oh. <laughs> and, you know, we get upwards of maybe 190, uh, close to 200 inches of snow per year. Yes. Wow. And, <laughs> yeah. Love it. Love it. <laughs> not, not. And, uh. So, of course, I said, oh, heck no, when I got off the plane, which was uh, one of the very small planes, you know. It's a tiny, tiny with, plane because uh, they can't take big jets uh-huh. there at that small airport. <laughs> exactly. And so I had first told the president, um, you know, they took me around you know, and talked to everybody, and, uh, which was nice. But I said, no, but thank you. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I went back home. Um to Detroit, and about a month and a half later, I got a, another call from him, and uh, they sweetened the deal a bit. Uh-huh. So it kind of fell right in on on time for me. And I said, well, <laughs> that's, this might not be too bad. I'll just be there for maybe a good year, year or two, and everything will be fine. Well, of course, as here it is. Um, that was in 19... 19- uh, 98. Oh, wow. <laughs> 89. Eight, no, eight. Well, that's no, what the yeah. number is. 89. 89. 89. <laughs> 89. Whoa. 89. Whoa. Yeah. So here it is. Uh, what? 2022. And I'm still here. And you're and, not going uh, anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know how it goes. You, you promise parents that you'll be there for their kid. Mm-hmm. And most of the students uh, had never heard of Michigan Tech mm-hmm. because it was uh, across the Mackinac Bridge and very few black people would ever cross that bridge. Mm-hmm. And they didn't know much about what was up in the Upper Peninsula. Mm-hmm. And of course, they wanted to know, uh, is my kid going to be safe? Is my kid exactly. going to be all right up yeah. there? And so they said, but if you're going to be there, we'll go for it. Yeah. So that's how it all <laughs> started. So just curious, what was your, your title? What would your title be at that time? Uh, I was a recruiter for minority students. That's pretty much explains it. <laughs> so they knew you were there. That, that was them well, putting a stamp on it. <laughs> actually, uh, they were looking for anything that had a color on their face. Yes. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. And the, the student population, they're lovely. But it's true. If you look different, mm-hmm. you know, you could feel yes. intimidated. They could feel intimidated from having you there. But um, wow. A lot, of, wow. a lot of international students, but very few minorities. Um, mm-hmm. And minorities in the category of Native American, uh, Hispanic, and African American. So that, that category. Mm-hmm. And yeah. as I said, Tech, uh catered to that particular grouping, and especially African-Americans. I understand that Castec, you know, that that kind of primed you for this, but you were kind of so, far away from your high school years as far as <laughs> how old you were when you took this job. <laughs> more with Betty Chavis when we come forward. And we're back with more from Detroit native Miss Betty Chavis. There is a lot in your life from what I understand, being somebody from Detroit, you were a dancer and took 
all that Motown had to offer and um, all the cultural awareness that and hanging out probably, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> <Are> there... <laughs> for, for those who don't know Miss Betty Chavis, she still drives a convertible Mustang. When it's warm. Yeah. Yeah, still, still driving a red Mustang convertible. <laughs> How did you get into dance? Ah, that's a whole other story. Um, my mother, who uh, passed on when I was like 12. Oh, and, um, that's life-changing. Uh, yeah, very much so. And so uh, I moved in with my grandmother uh, on the maternal side. and. There were uh, myself and my mother's brother's kid uh, who were living with my grandmother at that particular time. My cousin, Connie Keys, became quite the dancer, a flamenco dancer. As a matter of fact, she was one of the, well, the first flamenco recognized in Spain what, and, and in those environments as the first black woman uh, flamenco dancer. And what was her name? And, um, Connie Keys, K-E-Y-S-E. Mm-hmm. And they have uh, all of her uh, relics and whatnot at the Schomburg in, in, in New York. Ah, yeah. I used to live across the street from the Schomburg. Oh, terrific. Yeah. Uh, uh, unfortunately, she has passed on. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was like the inspiration for myself. And, you know, uh, being cousins, and she was older than myself, and I've always been rather competitive. Uh, I couldn't let my cousin outdo me, so I started taking <laughs> dance classes and became very good. However, my genre was more African uh, dance, and so I was with several groups in the city of Detroit uh, with uh, people that were relatively uh, skilled in those areas. And I guess I was still in high school because I graduated from CAS when I was 15. Wow. And (laughs) yeah. So I continued classes uh, after graduation because I didn't go right into college uh, when I graduated from high school. The first year, my dad was still taking me to school. And that was quite embarrassing going to a college and having your father carry you around, <laughs> you know. You off. So that didn't quite sit well with me. Mm. Um, so my cousin was um, in New York, and she wound up being a teacher in New York uh, University and okay. also was dancing with several groups there in New York. Nice. And hooked up with uh, a company because she would go to Spain every year and hooked up with uh, a couple of the most famous uh, uh, flamenco groups in Spain. So she made quite a name for herself. As a matter of fact, even there is a movie that she uh, uh, participated, well, started actually as as a flamenco dancer. Nice. Well, of course. Uh, I've kind of followed in her footsteps, not going for flamenco, but I did love uh, African music mm. and his Haitian music. And um, there was a woman by the name of Sevilla Fort in New York um, okay. and Catherine Dunham. Yes. So I became uh, just 
astute and really just uh, steeped in, in, in that, that genre of uh, dance and became, uh, if I have to say, pretty good at it. And, <laughs> and, you're, and, the, and you're, you're pretty tall, too, right? Can you say how tall you are? Yes, 5'7". Uh, oh, 5'7", okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you must wear heels every time I see you. I'm, I'm always, it's probably because well, you, you just know, stand up at, so straight. <laughs> at 88, I think I'm about 5 feet. I feel like I'm 5 feet tall now at 88. <laughs> somehow or other, we start shrinking as we get older. That's <laughs> what they say. So the Dunham, te- the Dunham dance technique was your specialty, I guess. Yes. Yes. Wow. And I was fortunate enough, um, Dunham uh, ultimately sent me a letter to come and audition for their experimental dance company. Nice. That was not the major dance company. It was the experimental company, and it was a younger mm-hmm. group that mm-hmm. were trying to uh, gain the, enough uh, up under them to ultimately apply for the major group grouping. And so I did join the experimental group under the tutelage of Catherine Dunham herself. And we traveled around the country. So that's how that started. When that ended, uh, because it didn't make any money back in those days in in those kind of groups, um, uh, enough to really Mm -hmm. almost live on. Because uh, in New York, it wasn't as expensive as it is now. But when you traveled, did you stay in nice places or was it segregated where you ended up? Or how did the, the uh, life on the road it, go? It, oh, uh, in Europe? Um, well, as we traveled as a group, so you never quite got out of the group, except, you know, you might do a little traveling around the, the area in, during the daytime. but mostly. You were always in rehearsals. So, you know, you would pass through different places and countries and not really know it, just knowing that you had passed through it, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know. (laughs) And so that went on, and I then decided that uh, I wanted to make a little money at that. So I came back and started my own group, which... uh, became, they called us the, the Ognaboff dancers, which was flamingo backwards. Now, I don't oh. know if you're familiar with Idlewild, Michigan. Idlewild was, mm-hmm. was a place where Motown and all the uh, black gentra uh, would <laughs> congregate in the summertime. Uh, it was like on a lake, and it was uh, pretty... Uh, high class, uh, all the doctors and lawyers and all the gentrified black folk, if you will, um, <laughs> would come there in the summer because there mm-hmm. was boating and horseback riding and golfing, etc. And all the top stars mm-hmm. from Motown would cut their teeth on make, working a show before they took it on the road. Oh, And it was like... Um, Daddy Braggs, there were only two nightclubs at Idlewild at that time, and that was uh, Phil Giles mm-hmm. and uh, Daddy Braggs' uh, place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was with the uh, Phil Giles group, and he had a club called uh, the Flamingo, and 
flamingo spelled backwards is Ognemoth. And that's why we called ourselves the Ognemoth Dancers. <laughs> what, wow. what was your specialty? I mean, what was it that really got you going? And what, what inspired you to, to dance in the first place? I mean, besides um, your cousin, besides your cousin. Besides my cousin? Yes. Uh, competition, and, and I loved it. Uh, uh, as I said, it was, uh, I especially liked uh, drumming. My dad uh. was a professional musician. He was a drummer, so I grew up around drums. And and your and, what was your dad's name, please, Miss Betty? What was your dad's name? Roland R O L A N D Chavis C H A V I S. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he played with a lot of the high end orchestras back in those days. Nice. Um, and so I had good rhythm. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. African dance, you must have good rhythm, and you must oh, love yeah. drums. And which, of course, I had both. So mm. having uh, come through Cas Tech, I was a music major at Cas Tech mm-hmm. when I graduated. Nice. And so it, it was kind of uh, inbred in my soul, I think. It was just all natural. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, the jeans. let me just tell you, I had a lot of fun. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> so do Tell you, us about it. No. Do you have any? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do you have any um, secrets that um, it's time to just reveal Find the truth? Memories. <laughs> those um, backroom days. Oh, any stories from back in those days? Did you say? Yeah, stories that um stories that you wouldn't have told uh your your dad. <laughs> oh <laughs> I don't know if I would tell you either. <laughs> uh, no. Um Well there oh my gosh, there are a lot of instances. Yeah, back in those days, you know, um uh, there was a lot going on. Um there used to be a, a thing about after our joints as they would call them. And mm-hmm. after a show, you would go to uh, these after-hour places where the uh, guys would be gambling, shooting craps, and playing cards, and a lot of music, a lot of drinking mm-hmm. going on. And, you know, just, um, and you, well, you, you know Black Book, love to dress and talk stuff. And <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so it was a way of life for an uh, entertainer to be within that kind of crowd. Uh, and we did. After shows, we would all head to the most popular after our joints. And I can recall at one point <laughs> there was a, a shooting at, at one place and we all crawled out of a basement window out to get outdoors and whatnot, oh, goodness. And, which is still very vivid in my mind. And I recall, um, well, um, Aretha Franklin. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was a, a friend of mine. Um, oh. Once upon a time, she came to my house um, early one Sunday. Well, not Sunday morning. I think it was a Saturday morning and drove her car up on the, the grass of the apartment I was living in, really kind of blitzed out um, and had had some kind of argument with her at that time um, husband. 
mm-hmm. and uh, came into my house and stayed overnight on a sofa of mine. And um, uh, I must say, she urinated all over my sofa. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and, of course, we had a few words, but we sent her on the way uh, back home. And this was in Detroit. <laughs> so, uh, and you, were, you, yeah, still, were you still speaking to her after that? <laughs> oh, uh, that took a while, but yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh my gosh! Um, well, as listeners know, um, one of our my relatives also revealed that Aretha Franklin is a distant cousin of mine, Franklin and the Franklin family. Ah, so <laughs> you get it. That is all right. <laughs> a very interesting um, part of the family lore now that you've added to. So wow. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, life gets yeah. pretty wild hanging around um, those recording artists, huh? But, what, but was, the couch, was the couch covered in plastic? You know, like back in the day. Oh, oh <laughs> of course. <laughs> okay, it was covered Perfect. in plastic. Yes. So, so that helped everything, situations out. Everything was covered in plastic back in those okay. days. Okay. <laughs> you know, slip off the couch. I, had, I remember those days. I had yeah. put a uh, blanket over it, you know, for it to be comfortable at least. That's and good. of course, uh, kind of ruined my blanket and um, whatnot. <laughs> but that, you know, it was okay. That was uh, you didn't think about things like that really then. You just uh, mad and called her a few uh, choice names and whatnot. Then went on about your business, and the next day, you know, is baby this and baby that. <laughs> so, <Wow. laughs> but uh, a lot of stories, a lot of stories. Uh, I also was. Uh, one of the first blacks in the city of Detroit that had a business uh, of what they call mod back in those days, you know, mod clothes. You remember that? Uh, uh, yeah, my mother, I, I'm pretty sure, um, got into mod clothes, that, which means her cousin Gloria probably did too. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> your friend Gloria. So, <laughs> Is this yeah. Queen's Lair? You're getting ready to tell us about Queen's Lair? Yes, it was the Queen's Lair. And uh, we catered to entertainers uh, in clothing and and artifacts and uh, posters and uh, just all kinds of knickknack things that that was very popular back in those days. So I had that and was with a partner. Her name was Brenda Holt. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we opened up uh, the QL Charm Center, which mm-hmm. was uh, right in the next block from from the store and we uh worked that for maybe a year year and a half where we taught people how to hold mics how to walk on stage how to talk on stage and et cetera et cetera et cetera and also wow. exercising hot hot uh, uh tub baths and whatnot for entertainers to, to kind of what they call chill out Oh. And so that was the QL Charm Center. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> All services. Uh, yes. Legal who, services. Yes. yes. Who, who would come to so, the hot tub? Who would come to the hot tub? Anyone? We know. Oh, Which anybody, from, from, from Motown. Um, Smokey? Mostly folk from Motown. Uh, that was the, the majority of our customers. Because uh, nice. we had two of the best uh, seamsters in the area. 
who made clothing, uh, especially for entertainers, and we mm. carried their line. Ultimately, um, uh, had a, a third party uh, partner uh, was married to one of the um, uh, Temptations. Oh, and uh, wow. she was the third partner in the Charm Center. Mm -hmm. So that was another end for bringing more customers in. Uh, the wives of the, the various uh, males, of course. And so they would come and look at different pieces oh, nice. at the store. And they could try on and also then get fitted for the okay. outfit for any upcoming shows. And they all at that time would see who could have uh, the biggest and the longest fur coat and uh, the, who could have the biggest uh, limousine uh, type car? <laughs> um, so it, it it was it was an interesting time. Uh, when I look back on it, um, I said, "Wow!" I have to sometimes think about it and, and say "Wow" to myself. Hmm. Um, it 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 was uh, kind of a magical time when I think about it. Oh yeah. Didn't think about it at like that at that time, you know. Mm -hmm. It it was just uh, part of your life. life as I knew it. But now looking back, um, hmm. uh, it was pretty golden. <laughs> so right. I I was very fortunate. Yeah, it's like you have to enjoy it while it's happening. Yes, 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 yes. And um, so then how did you get into the more boring kind of corporate life? <laughs> I'm joking on my corporate friends. You mean like academe? <laughs> yeah. How did you make the switch? And and then, by the way, I mean, the arts, we have to say that really boosts your um, individual sense of style, confidence and um, leadership, it sounds like, and obviously creativity, right? So it sounds like you could do anything with that background that you had. Um, well, I thought I could. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <laughs> um, it was one of those things um, my dad used to tell me all the time, um, you can do whatever you want to do if, if you're good at it. Mm -hmm. And my grandmother would say, never let anything uh, get in your way. Um, mm. If you want it, go for it. You know, yeah, go get it. That's right. And I so that. I believed that. I believed it. Um, what did your grandmother do? Oh, uh, she was. Um, she worked for um, uh, white families in the beginning, mm -hmm. and then um, a couple of black families, uh, a couple of dentists. Mm. Uh, she was. Um, um, well, my heart, frankly, because um, um, she loved you. it dearly. Yeah, and uh, as I said, she mm. was pretty much the my mom from twelve on, mm. so that she was about all I knew. Um, oh. So, yeah, but at that point in time, you know, I, I was pretty much. I took care of myself and raised myself. <laughs> my grandmother thought I could do no wrong. Um, and, you know, let me do mostly what I wanted to do. Oh. And when I said I wanted to go to New York to follow my cousin, you know, she was all right with that, too. So um, hmm. it was good. <laughs> it, uh, my, my grandmother was uh, 
well, one of the best cooks I ever had in life. That's all I can say. That seems to be common among grandmothers. But it sounds like she trusted you. Yes, she did. She did. And um, I I get my backbone from her. Mm. And my other half is from the, the Geechee side of my family. My dad's parents all are from the Carolinas, and they were Gullah oh, yeah. people. Okay. And, uh, and Geechees, as they would call Geechees, them. Yeah. Yes. And so it was an interesting combination. <laughs> well, uh, sounds and I might add, also, it was not the happiest combination because um, one side, uh, my, my dad's side, who was a very, a guy was very fair. Uh, they weren't very amenable to people that were dark. Mm-hmm. And my dad married a dark-skinned woman. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I came out kind of in the middle, a little bit on too much on the brown side. So that mm-hmm. relationship never really was... Uh, a standout in my life, except for different instances that I thought uh, these are some really strange people, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the Gullah people. Interesting. Uh, I think but, people don't understand how deep those wounds from colorism are. And for uh, those of us yeah. who grew up um, with that, I, that was very much a factor in my family as well. And so yeah. you're saying that you didn't have a relationship with your father's family. You weren't too close with his family then. Exactly. Exactly. Well, they didn't accept me too well. Um, mm-hmm. The fact, as I said, because I was brown skin. Mm-hmm. And so it was just an interesting time. You know, um, prejudice was very prevalent back then. Um it was the uh, white skins and the black skins, you know, uh, even in different college settings. And there were fraternities and sororities, especially, that would have a group that everybody in there was light skinned, you know, <laughs> and hardly any yeah. brown skins. Mm-hmm. And I won't mention any of the sororities by name. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, we could probably see from photos which ones uh, yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, our well, lovely just... divine nine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, wow. yes. so uh, Ms. Chavis, uh, just looking at that history, do you think much has changed till today in terms of black history uh, in that sense? Uh, what, today? When you talk about colorism, when you talk about light, dark, and in between... Um, has much changed to today? It, yes, somewhat, you know, um, but it, it is still out there, uh, mm-hmm. but right. not as bad as it was back in those days. Um, I okay. think we have pretty much come to terms with uh, I'm black and I'm proud, uh, <laughs> and it didn't make any difference what color black you were. Mm-hmm. Um so, yes, uh, things have changed quite a bit. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was also wondering, you. so you had the Charm School in Detroit. Oh, the Charm School was uh, called the QL Charm the Q- Center. Oh, the QL yeah. Charm Center. So you, mm-hmm. you left the Charm, uh, the QL Charm Center to go to New York, or did you do that after New York? Well, that happened, I didn't leave it. Um, you know, there were riots in the city of Detroit. 
Yeah, that's, and, that's what um, I wanted to get to is how did the Charm Center close? Because, I mean, it sounds like it was such a high point in your life that it would have been, yeah. um, you know, very significant to close it. But we're saying the riots shut it down? Well, the, it, it yes, it, it, the riot wow. closed me out. Uh, uh, well, actually mm. put us all in bankruptcy there uh, because right. of it. And um, it never opened up again. So. It was. The, were you around that time when people were rioting? Were you in the neighborhood? Oh yeah. Oh yes, <laughs> yes. Um, uh, can you talk us through that? Um, the scenes and the sights and sounds of it. Yeah, actually. Well, um, what year? You know, if we can get like a, a year of when that happened. What year? Uh, what 67. year? Sixty-seven. Yeah. What year? We're talking about the riots. In well, you know, there were two riots in mm -hmm. in Detroit. Race mm -hmm. riots. Um, and one was um, in a year, and I don't recall what year it was, but it it was I was young enough. I was sitting on my my father's shoulder mm. and looking down what they call Hastings Street in in Detroit, mm. watching um, military tanks rolling down the street, which is uh, something that was pretty much indelible in my mind. I, I will never forget that. Uh, I had never seen anything like that with, with uh, guys uh, with on tanks with big guns and rolling down the street that uh, we as kids would just run up and down and play, you know, but it happened. More after this. And we're back with Miss Betty Chaffis. But the second riot, of course, was the one, uh, the 12th Street riots, where it started from the... Uh, well, allege that there had been a rape on the island of Belle Isle in Detroit, mm -hmm. which uh, uh, later on I found out might have been erroneous to begin with mm -hmm. uh, and should never have happened, but did. And with gossip and one voice leads to the other and, you know, how stories can build as they travel. I can recall being on the corner of 12th Street and watching people knocking out big panes of glass of different stores yes. and running in and snatching stuff and running with them and whatnot. It's um, just things that you want to blank out, but uh, but you it becomes indelible in your mind. I'll, I'll never forget that. Mm -hmm. And uh soldiers walking up and down the street like they were on um a war front with their guns drawn and and people knocking people over and it it was uh uh it, it was rather surreal uh, just something i will never forget and i hope i never see it again um mm -hmm. unlike uh, uh, the the latest insurrection in washington dc uh, right. <laughs> uh, something I never thought I'd see either. But uh, uh, especially days, so recent, yeah, <laughs> ridiculous. <politically. laughs> I hope I never see that again either. Right. But I guess it can happen. So in this climate, yes, unfortunately, it can. And I think um, going back to Detroit. And um, I was in the L.A. riots right there witnessing all of it. 
it's hard seeing black on black business like that, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and being so angry because I was so angry. That was Rodney King. And mm -hmm. so I can imagine all the emotions were going through you as well. And then unfortunately having to shut down the business. Yeah, that uh, <laughs> well, wiped me out. <laughs> and I just recall sitting down uh, on the curb and thinking, what just happened? What? what how, how did this happen? You know, mm. um, but never really recouped from it. Um, had to file bankruptcy and the whole nine yards. And that was uh, an excruciating experience. Uh, learned a lot. And thank God came out of that. Ultimately, you know, it takes a, a few years uh, to get over a bankruptcy. But mm -hmm. I finally climbed out of that a stigma. Uh, so there, there have been lots of things that have happened in my life that uh, uh, I would consider kind of like milestones, but was uh, growing stones also. Uh, pretty much made me pretty stoic and uh, learned to pretty much accept uh, different things, but with the notion of how can I help change this dynamic? And um, one of the ways that I figured it could happen is through young people. And yeah. uh, the next generation has mm -hmm. to pick up the, the mantle uh, to carry on what you started. So at 88 years of age, um, I got a few folk, um, I'm standing on their shoulders, but I got a few already standing on mine. So I, I feel good about that. More after this. And we're back with Houghton, Michigan's Miss Betty Chavis. What, what do you tell young people? Because it's one thing to start college, you know, and but it's another thing to finish. What is it that you uh, kind of encourage them along the way with all the different challenges that come up? And what do you tell them when they do complete, let's say, a degree? Uh, what is their next mission? To reach back. Uh, you've got to give back. Um, you've got to reach back uh, to be able to give. You've got to know the feeling of being able to help someone on their way. Um, and that person in turn, if they don't realize it then, but will ultimately realize that that's the only way in life that you're going to be happy. You have got to help somebody else take, uh, take the right road. Right. Having come to Michigan Tech, uh, which I thought was going to be just for a couple of years and extended several, I've seen many students finish and who have now gone on to do really marvelous things. As a matter of fact, I had just spoken with uh, the principal who is now retired from Cas Tech, and she was telling me about one of our students that uh, is now one of the top uh, researchers in cancer in New York. Wow. Um, they have a experimental drug that is very close to being the first drug that seems to be able to combat cancer. And oh my he's gosh. one, and thank goodness, uh, he is currently reaching back to other students because he goes around 
talking at other universities, trying to interest our kids in, in research, and especially in the area of cancer and high blood Amazing. pressures, uh, things that affect mostly our people. So hmm. That's huge. And so I had a finger on one like that myself, so that, that's, right. that's a good thing. Absolutely. Uh, and we mm -hmm. should tell our audience that um, we're speaking to you uh, at a time when you just uh, left the office there. <laughs> you own your own <laughs> store, your own shop. Yes. It's, um, yeah. We call it Betty's Cat. Yeah. <laughs> Please tell uh, people what that, <laughs> that stands for. <laughs> yeah, well, clarify. Uh, clarify. <laughs> cat uh, stands for collectibles, art, antiques, and treasures. That's C-A-A-T. <laughs> Betty's cat. That double two, meaning, two that double entendre. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Oh, dancers, no. So this has been a pleasure. But, uh, it's been my pleasure. I want to thank you both uh, for even taking the time to uh, to talk to an old <laughs> You're my guiding star. I love it. <laughs> well, this has certainly been a pleasure. We want to thank Miss Betty Chavis for being on our show. She's totally a class act and a ball of fun. And oh, if yeah. you've ever celebrated the Parade of Nations in Houghton, Michigan, that's one of Miss Betty's creations as well. <laughs> Sweet. A little too far north for me. Yeah, it is up there. <laughs> And we want to thank you all for listening to us here on KBLA Talk 1580. And before we go, we want to remind everyone when you wake up every day, make a conscious decision to just go for it. No regrets. Yes. And with no holding back, just do it. There's no time like the present. What, what a, a gift. gift.